brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Praise be, good people of the internet. How the hell are ya? From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And if you ask me, it seems like a system built almost solely on the profit motive is a tough system to trust. It leaves us guessing in a whole host of areas, not knowing if various industries are providing things we actually need as much as the marketing tells us we do. Sometimes it's easier to tell, like when it comes to things like bamboo spatulas, weighted blankets, and the latest offerings from Netflix. But we have hundreds of food companies that are lying about their effects on health, an explosion of college debt because the reality didn't match the promises, and cell phone companies suppressing the data behind their own products to uphold the almighty market share. Where this gets really concerning is in the medical space, where pills, shots, and surgery should only be given out when absolutely necessary, but the endless hunger for more of your green paper has to make you wonder. And while there are countless microcosms of conflicted interest and profit-driven deception to explore, today we're going to hone in on the conventional thoughts around eyesight, myopia, optometry, and the $100 billion business that is the eyeglass industry. Because based on the work of today's guest, Jake Steiner, and the countless clinical trials and scientific papers he draws from, Myopia doesn't seem to be genetic or an illness at all, but a carefully crafted ploy to put you in the oh-so-profitable pipeline of expensive glasses in designer frames. If you don't know, Jake is one of the most popular eye health activists on the World Wide Web, who not only reversed his own nearsightedness, but has synthesized the scientific data into a series of courses, videos, guides, and more, all laid out on his website, nmyopia.org. So let's get into it. The eye guy himself and lens crafters public enemy number one from the other side of the world, Jake Steiner. Welcome to the higher side. Wow, Greg. Thanks. That's an awesome intro. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I try, man. I try. And thanks for being here. I am a big fan of drilling down into one specific subject area where we see the same template applied. And that is that there are often more natural or more effective and low-cost ways to deal with a health problem than the expensive and inadequate options the system provides. And it seems like this is one of those areas. And I personally am not someone who's had problems with my eyesight or spent much time in an optometrist's office, 
So even a term like myopia was new to me. I guess, how do you like to set this up for people? Of course, myopia means nearsightedness, but what more can you say about this condition itself? So the truly fascinating thing to me about this is I used to have myopia. I used to be nearsighted. And the way I ended up being nearsighted is how most people from my generation, I'm in my 40s now, at somewhere in the teens, your parents took you to the optometrist. The optometrist said you needed glasses. You're a kid, right? Like you didn't ask any questions. You got glasses. And then you were stuck with glasses pretty much forever. And my eyesight kept getting, quote unquote, worse and worse and worse till eventually it was a minus five doctors, which is like when you take off your glasses, you can't even find your glasses again. And I went to the optometrist again and they said you needed even strong glasses and they were already so thick, like my eyes looked like tiny behind the lenses. And I felt like it was just enough. And when I asked the optometrist, why is this? I remember he said to me, it's genetic. And I was thinking it can't be genetic because then how come this didn't exist to this extent, like even 50 years ago, right? Genetics don't mutate on a massive global human scale in a matter of decades. So I started reading biology books and I started finding out that myopia really isn't a genetic condition at all. And it was kind of shocking because the clinical science clearly explains what myopia is. But then on the retail optometry side, it's been completely denied. And I'm generally not somebody who's giving easily over to conspiracy theories or just the ideas that the mainstream is somehow wrong. But that was my first encounter with the world just seems messed up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well said. So what is it that causes myopia? There are essentially like two causes, right? At least that's what I've heard you describe in the past. Yeah, there's two things that happen to people. One, it's called pseudomyopia. And I recommend that people go to scholar.google.com. That's Google's clinical science search engine that cuts out all the fluff and that just goes to scientific peer-reviewed studies and type in P-S-E-U-D-O, pseudo-myopia. And the cause of almost all known myopia worldwide is caused by close-up. So there's a muscle in your eye. It's a focusing muscle. It's a circular muscle around the lens in your eye, and it tightens when you look at something up close. And the closer you look, the tighter it gets. And then when you stop looking up close, the muscle relaxes and the lens flattens and you can see clearly at a distance. What happens is if you look at something up close for really long periods of time, that muscle spasms a bit. So it doesn't fully relax. So you don't fully recover your distance vision temporarily. That's why it's called pseudomyopia. It's not real. But if you do that every day, every day, every day, then eventually that muscle spasm becomes kind of persistent. Right? Like you could just go out hiking for a weekend or spend a week away from books and screens and stuff and you'd be fine. But the optometrist doesn't tell you that it's just a muscle spasm and they give you lenses. The lenses move the light further back in your eye to compensate for the muscle spasm while ignoring the muscle spasm. And then the myopia becomes something called lens-induced myopia. If you put that in Google Scholar, you're going to get like 10,000, 20,000 search results. Very clearly understood. When you put those minus lenses, those lenses that give you the distance vision back in front of your eyes, your eye elongates because it has a mechanism built in to compensate for any refractive error, basically. Because your eye doesn't know the glasses are in front of it. Your eye thinks, hey, I'm too short, and it elongates. And the longer eye is a more myopic, more short-sighted eye. Hmm. And then that cycle continues every time you go back to the optometrist, potentially increasing that 
quote-unquote prescription, your eye continues elongating, and that lens-induced myopia is what most people have. Hmm. Right on, right on. And so you say screen addiction is a part of this, as well as, I guess, to some degree, artificial light. Is, are there other things in our general modern society that are hurting our eyes to the degree that screen addiction and artificial light might be? There's contributing factors. A screen, the close-up time is the number one thing. If you eliminated that, most people wouldn't have myopia. Artificial light definitely is not fantastic. Diet can play a role. Like if you have diabetes, for example, you are very likely to also have myopia. I just talked to a guy in our own little mini podcast who has been significantly lowering his blood sugar and his vision has improved dramatically. But mainly, mainly it's that the screen time is really the worst thing. Right on, right on. And so we all know that when a paradigm is set up, such as the situation with eyesight, which is that testing early and often is strongly encouraged. And then when an industry controls the testing, they tend to overprescribe. They're bound to find some reason you need to use their services. And now you're in this lifelong ecosystem that's very costly and doesn't address the root causes of the condition and actually makes it worse, right? I mean, like you said, lens-induced myopia is an increasing problem as the prescription needs to strengthen. Right. And even just calling it a prescription, that was lobbying. That's heavy millions of dollars of lobbying spent on part of the lens industry to make clear curved pieces of plastic a so-called prescription. <laughs> you can go buy over-the-counter non-prescription drugs, like things that are complex chemicals, things that you can overdose on that can kill you. You can buy those over-the-counter, but clear curved pieces of plastic you can only buy from the so-called eye doctor or optometrist and also those things are being sold at hugely inflated prices. Right, right. That's something I've learned from the friends of mine who do wear glasses, that the internet has kind of really opened the floodgates to them being able to get what they think they need at a reasonable price. And I know that going to these places is difficult because even if you feel like you know what you need, they're like, well, you can't get any new glasses unless you sit down for a consultation. And then once you're in the desk, once they're doing the testing, now they got you. I mean, this is a business. People forget this isn't for the common good. It's a business. That's right. And it's fascinating to me how much we accept things, how conditioned we are to accept things. Because you go to an optometrist, in most cases, it's clearly a retail store, a lot of times in a shopping mall, yeah. right? Like it's next to the shoe store. And when you walk in there, it's all fashion frames and brand names and two-for-one sales. And then somehow you're still being sold this medical condition thing. I'm like, what other medical conditions are you being, quote-unquote, prescribed for in a shopping mall? It's an amazing setup. It really is. They've had it locked down for a while. Man. So I totally see how you put these lenses in front of your eyes. Your eyes are trying to adjust to this thing that's not natural, that's right in front of them all the time. and this increases the problem it exacerbates the issue and it lasts your whole life you need stronger and stronger glasses but if we were to go back to like that first fundamental issue that the optometrists are picking up on before you have any glasses i mean are you saying that there's zero genetic myopia i see babies with glasses before they've even had time to develop close-up screen habits i mean what is the deal there is that just lies no, not necessarily. Of course, there exist medical conditions with the eye. 
that can happen, but it's as rare as a lot of other things that, I mean, we're talking single percentages, right? With babies, with babies, the interesting thing is babies are hyperopic. It's the opposite of myopia where the baby can't see clearly up close. The eyeball is too short, basically, when you're born. And from environmental stimulus, the eyeball elongates to the right length. And it does that through your whole life. Your eyeball is always shortening and elongating, trying to find the perfect middle ground for the best vision. But as a baby, you can't see clearly up close. So it can happen, and I've seen it happen, where babies are being, quote-unquote, diagnosed, and they're being found to be hyperopic, and they're getting glasses for that, where that's completely normal. Mm. Now, it can happen that babies are myopic, and that's outside of my range, right? Like, it's not any one thing always has the same cause. But in most cases, and in cases where you remember in your childhood, there was a point where you could see fine at a distance, then it's not genetic. Right on, right on. And the larger point here is the building an industry. There's always a little truth there that things are built on, but they go way overboard, blow it out of proportion, and then overprescribe into this, as we said, $100 billion industry. And if the damage to our eyesight is more related to the environment or habits, like staring at the phone screen, the truth is that a lot of people are weak. They don't want to change their patterns. They don't want to do something different. Some people would rather get their stomach stapled than stop eating junk food. And industry is very happy to slide on in and offer a quick fix. And that is what we're seeing in eye care, right? A hundred percent. And I was actually about to say that this is a supply and demand thing. Because what I found with doing the enmiopia thing for close to two decades now is most people don't even want to know. If a quick fix exists, they're happy. So I get it from both sides because optometrists don't like me, but then also the general public. Like I stay away from putting this in front of people who are not looking for it because they don't even want to hear it, right? Because then they'd have to face their screen addiction and then they'd have to realize there's effort involved and that they're responsible for their own well-being and people don't love that. Right. It's like a lot of pharmaceuticals, they address the symptoms, not the initial cause. You could say that about a lot of depression medication. Is it like, are you really chemically imbalanced or do you just hate your job and hate your life and you can't find a girl? I mean, <laughs> do you need pills for everything? Not really, but if they can stop you from feeling, some people will at certain points in their life. But I definitely see how screen addiction is making our eyesight worse. It makes sense. But that's only really been a problem for the last 25 years or so, right? I mean, my grandpa wore glasses. I know kids back in the first gray with me who were wearing glasses. Myopia seems to have been with us at least a while longer than the screens have, right? Yes. What happens is myopia has been with us since the time that we're doing close-up. And actually, glasses were said to be invented sometime in the 16th century, and they were originally made from monks. Because back in those days, monks were the only ones reading, mm. right? And they were reading in low light conditions. They were reading in front of candles. They spent a lot of time up close developing the same issue. So as we continued into more and more people spending more and more time up close, back in our day, it was books, right? Like books, maybe TV, maybe computer games were starting to come around. The more close up, the more prevalence of myopia. Now we're having a totally different issue because my email these days is parents saying, my five-year-old has myopia. Ten years ago, I used to not see that at all. 
But now the kids are being raised on iPads. So the thing that happens now is the prevalence increases and the age decreases. You used to not hear about five-year-olds having myopia. Now it's all day, every day. That's all I get. And I'm always like, okay, how much time does a kid spend in front of an iPad? And parents go, well, you know, I get busy and the kid loves it. And yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's what moves it all back to a younger age and, and more of it. Right, right. And it is so sad when parents can't just say, we need to take this away. They're just so uh, soft these days, it seems. But I guess when I looked it up, it said that myopia affects about 30% of the U.S. population. I don't know if that jives exactly with your research, but in some areas of the world, it is much higher than that. Can you talk to us a little bit about geography and the various rates uh, and the numbers that you have? Yeah, sure. The numbers kind of range. I get something closer to 50%. They're not necessarily that accurate. They're much higher in some Asian populations. Developed Asian countries in particular, there are some genetic markers that suggest that certain populations' eyes are more predisposed to that axial elongation. So what happens is myopia is not genetic, but when you put glasses in front of my eyes or your eyes or some other person's eyes, our rate of axial change or the degree to which our eyes will elongate is going to be different. And there have been genetic markers that have been found that are more prevalent in Asian populations. Along with that, the education requirements in some countries are just insane, like Singapore and Hong Kong kids are constantly studying. Also, those kinds of Asian kids that seem to have the genetic marker more commonly Hong Kong and Singapore, for example, have myopia incidence rates in school-aged children of over 90%. So basically, in those countries, just about every kid needs glasses, 90%, right? And it's not going down, and it's considered a major health risk issue that they're trying to figure out, but they're not finding any answers to. And again, there's like some combination of the genetic likelihood that you need more glasses, you start wearing glasses, and they just spend so much time studying compared to kids in the U.S. Mm, very interesting. And I like your website and everything. You constantly are emphasizing the point over and over that your eyes aren't deteriorating. They're adjusting to what you put in front of them. That's a working eye. This is how your eyes are supposed to work. And it's a complete flip on the language that you're given from the eye care industry. They're saying it's a slow degeneration, and that's why you need to increase the the strength of your glasses. Diopters. The diopters. Yeah, you have to increase the diopters. But if your eye is making that readjustment every time you get new glasses, that's a clue that your eyes are functioning okay, right? Right. It's the language, I don't know to what extent it's, purposely done, it certainly is convenient to create the sense of helplessness, right? Like, this is you, you're weak, you need our help, you're just broken, you're a mess. When you walk into that office, I used to get, when I started improving my eyesight and my eyesight was really improving and I was really excited and I was naive and super positive about it, I would go see optometrists and be like, hey, look at this. And I was shocked at how arrogant and rude and dismissive they were about my definitive experience and I started having a weird kind of change in how I was looking at what they were doing because it was all very authoritarian right like you're buying glasses those things wholesale cost the optometrist two or three dollars right they all sell for two or three hundred dollars and I think 
and this is kind of reaching into that. I can't say that this is true, but I kind of feel that that authoritarian attitude that they have helps having people not question this. Because it's like you look at the thing and you're like, it's a piece of plastic. Like, how is this thing $300? Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I see it in many different sectors. It's also this simulated complexity. As you say, they're just pieces of plastic that are curved. It really isn't rocket science here, but you create new language that sounds medical. As you mentioned, the lobbying to call it a prescription. And now we're in this medical realm. It's a whole different ballgame. It's, it's like the economy or Wall Street. They use a lot of different terms. And if you talk to real economists, they're like, if you parse through a lot of that, it's much simpler than you'd expect. But they want people to be turned off from doing the deep dive into certain things. They just want you to trust the experts. And speaking of the experts, if you go to the American Optometry Association website, it's going to tell you that myopia is genetic. It's going to say that it's a common myth that the glasses make the condition worse. As you say, they control the narrative. So how do we really combat this? Oh, okay. Um, they're fascinating. I can't believe this. And I'm less into the conspiracies in general. I try not to because my brain just can't handle it. But hmm. ophthalmology clinical journals, right? Like the journals of the profession are what I'm citing on the website. I'm citing their own studies that they peer review and they publish of the same entity, basically, that is saying that myopia is caused by minus lenses and that myopia starts as pseudomyopia. I don't understand how this is possible, right? Like, in most cases, when we're looking for something that could be a conspiracy or could be far-fetched or could be just deception, there's a little more effort put into hiding the truth. Whereas here, it's literally, you go to Google Scholar and you type in lens-induced myopia and you look at who is publishing those studies, it's optometry and ophthalmology journals. That is them. That's the same people who are then saying, oh, no, this is a myth, where in your own journals, it says it's not a myth. Right. Yeah, it's a funny thing. And I appreciate what you're saying about general conspiracies. A lot of times they can be vague or hyperbolic. And when it comes to certain things, especially when it comes to people's health, I like to say, Look, let's get into the details. Let's get into the research. Because if the point you're making, this alternative paradigm is true, well, it should stand up to questioning. It should, it should be in the details that we can find the truth. And that's kind of the way you present your work. You go to the peer-reviewed papers and the clinical trials constantly. And I think that's the way to do it. I mean, this is the standard that they've set up to say this is the rigorous diligence you need to do to verify something so you can use their own material against them in a lot of different areas and this is one now obviously we all know friends and family who have been lifetime glasses wearers but they're going to be skeptical when we try to approach them with this idea that the eye care industry is lying to them and they can correct their vision problems potentially without the medical system you talk a lot about the evidence and I'm just curious, what studies or research do you find most convincing? Is there certain data that you go to first when you know you're getting into it with someone on the other side? Well, I try to not argue with people in general because my focus is I want people who want answers about the eyesight to find answers. And skepticism is 100% 
a requirement, basically. You're on the internet, you need to be skeptical. Open-minded and skeptical is the best start, so you can look at the research in general. The first thing I like to say, though, for people who are not sure, is pseudomyopia and lens-induced myopia. You type that into Google Scholar because I believe lens-induced myopia, last time I checked, had like 40 or 50,000 search results that are just clinical, quoted clinical science, right, that says myopia is caused by the lenses. It's one of those things where it's like it's really difficult to argue that that's not at least a very strong scientific position, if not the very much dominant scientific position when that's the thing that you find when you look at it, right? Like it is caused by the lenses. Now the question is, the clinical science says your myopia is caused by your lens wear, right? And the only people who say that's not true are the people who are selling you $2 glasses for $200. Those are the only people who are saying this is not true. They have a serious profit motive. And on the other side, you have a huge pile of easily accessible clinical science that says it is the lenses. It's kind of a simple thing if you look at it that way. You got the guy who's making a 5,000% markup saying, you know, no, it's not my lenses. And everybody who's not involved in making that money is saying, yeah, it is kind of the lenses. And that's a starting point. But the thing that I really like, because the science to me came second, is if you start measuring your eyesight, you start realizing how simple it is. Because myopia, the complicated thing that they do with the optometrist is just how far can you see before it gets blurry. That's all it is. All the autorefractor and the machines and the lab coat and the dark room and all that stuff is just how far can you see before there's blur. That's all it is. And you can do that at home. You can do that with a measuring tape in two minutes. You can figure out your own diopters and you could order those things online by yourself. And that's kind of where I think it starts off for people. Like if you measure yourself and you realize, hey, I don't need somebody to do this for me, then you get curious because then you can measure in different light, right? Like you can measure in natural outdoor light and your distance vision all of a sudden is better, right? You can see further. You can measure further. If you're in a darker room, you don't see as far. And once you start like the self-experimenting how much your vision varies, you end up asking more questions and you end up trying more stuff and you end up realizing in a matter of weeks, you can noticeably improve your eyesight. Right. And that's what I wanted to get to next. So if we were going to kind of section this out a bit, we pretty much hammered home the idea that the lenses make the situation worse. And the industry obviously has an incentive to sell more glasses. But then this other side of it is that we can actually self-correct our vision at home, no tools really required. And that's obviously a whole separate thing. What data would you give to people or should they look at to bring them on board with this idea that you can self-correct with, I don't know if practice is the right word, but with attention. Okay, so your eyes are not getting worse, right? Your eyes are adopting. There's two things that are happening. One, you're straining your eyes too much close up, which is a thing people don't like to hear because we all have a bit of a screen addiction. So the strain that's keeping your ciliary muscle locked up is one issue. And you can address that, for example, by using your phone less and moving more of your close up to like a laptop distance, just as a simple example. If you remember, the ciliary muscle is the closer you look at something, the tighter it gets. So if you're holding a phone, you're holding it much closer than you would be sitting in front of a laptop. So for example, if you moved some of your close-up time to a laptop, you're reducing the ciliary strain, right? Another example is if you're using distance glasses for close-up, which is causing most of your myopia progression, 
like the glasses that are made for distance vision, and now you're sitting in front of a computer that's 60 centimeters away from you. That's not what they're intended for. So if you reduce how much the optic you're using for close-up, those two things alone will have a noticeable impact that you can see in a matter of weeks. And I think that the theory, when people argue with me, like, oh, this and the science and let's this study and that study, I'm like, okay, are you doing this because we want to have a debate or are you actually wanting to reduce how dependent you are on those classes? And if you want to make that reduction, you look at the science and you see, okay, there's enough evidence there that the eye is not defective and it's simply adjusting, right? Like there's enough biological evidence that you go, okay, so this is probably the case. And there's enough biological evidence that says, okay, my close-up is bad for me. It's straining my eye and the lenses are causing my eye to elongate. So it's reasonable to say, if I reduce the strain and if I reduce the impact of those lenses, and if my eyes indeed are this biological thing that adjusts, I should see change, right? So if you genuinely care, if you're not just having this argument for the sake of an argument, then you should be able to take this theory that's pretty solid and try it out, right? Like actually go, okay, so I'm going to use less. I'm going to get away from the phone a bit more. I'm going to measure my eyesight. I'm going to reduce my adoptive dependence when I'm in close-up. And I'm going to measure and see if that makes any difference in a matter of a few weeks. And if you see improvement, then it's like, okay, that's not a definitive, this must be working, but it's a strong enough clue to where you might be tempted. Right on, right on. So on the subject of improvement, let's break that down a bit more for people because you say we shouldn't just throw off our glasses and start our new life. It is a bit of a gradual process. What are some of those first steps for people who do want to actually test the waters and give this self-repair thing a shot? So the very first thing is that wearing those distance glasses during close-up is terrible. Your eyes adjust to focal planes, right? Like the closer you look, there's that movable lens in your eye that continues adjusting. What the glasses are a fixed focal plane. They're 16th century technology. They're incredibly unsophisticated. They only work for one distance. They only work for where you can't see clearly at a distance. So when you put those things on, they're meant to correct distance vision. Now, when you sit in front of a computer, the reason your eyes got worse in the first place, if you get into the detail, it's a thing called hyperopic defocus. You can also look that up on Google Scholar. It's where the lenses move the light further back in the eye because you're using the glasses at a closer distance than you should. And that's the main stimulus that continues the eye elongating. So the first thing to do is basically get weaker glasses for close-up. Like about a one doctor to one and a half doctors less. And fortunately, now you can just buy glasses online. And I'm not giving you doctor recommendations. I'm not making medical recommendations here. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, you would reduce the risk of hyperopic defocus if you were wearing glasses that were about one to one and a half doctors less strong for your close-up. If in a matter of a week or two of doing that, if you never wear the distance glasses for close-up again, if you put them on, and look at something up close, you're going to start feeling dizzy and get headaches and feel quite uncomfortable because your eye will have readjusted to not have that overcorrection for close-ups. The main first step is not wearing distance glasses for close-up. Makes sense. I mean, practically speaking, you put on a pair of glasses and you're basically wearing them for everything, but that probably isn't best for our eyes. It's not necessarily natural. 
And you talk about the Snellen test in a few of your videos, which is this eye chart test everyone has seen. And testing protocols are always interesting to me. Many of them are deceptive. Many of them are skewed to give more false positives or require you know, more assistance from whoever's administering the test than you really need. One example is a big scandal in prostate cancer. The test screens your PSA levels, and now there's a lot of science saying those antigens are natural, and they go up and they go down as they do, yet thousands of men got tested at the wrong time when the levels happen to be high, and they got a surgery based on that. Now there's a lot of science that says maybe there was a lot of false positives or we roped in way more people than really were necessary. And I'm curious about the protocols when you go into an optometrist. Is there a lot of overdiagnosis baked into just how we test the eyes at a base level with this Snellen test in particular? Okay, so I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. And since I have a lot of optometrist friends, I say they don't have any bad intentions. So what happens in that test is they usually put you in a dark room and the chart is illuminated by some kind of crappy artificial light. And then they they put different lenses in front of your eyes just to see which lenses you see most clearly with. And this is simulating the worst possible case scenario because in any kind of dark environment, you see less clearly to begin with, right? That single point of your illumination I mean, that's basically like you're driving a car at night. So it is relevant, right? But then on top of it, they don't tell you, you might be at minus three doctors, but then they put in minus 3.25, like they dial it up one more notch and they ask you if it's any clear. And if it is any clear, even though it's unnaturally clear, I call it ants in space vision. It's just like, wow, that's totally unnecessary. Then they'll dial it up to 3.5. They're like, is that still clear? And I don't think they're doing it out of any malevolous intent they're just trying to give you the best possible correction and doing what they're learning in school but what you walk out with is a pair of lenses that are correcting your eyesight to driving in a blizzard at night whereas you're probably in the middle of the day right sitting in your office looking at your laptop screen that's like at an arm's length away from you so in that moment you're seriously overcorrected and when you look at the website and you see, I have got so many improvement reports. And initially, usually the improvements are pretty dramatic. In the first 90 days, you might improve a whole diopter, which is four reductions, basically. And I always say that's not really real improvement necessarily. That's just getting rid of the overcorrection. So basically, to answer your question is, they probably don't have bad intentions. But when you go to an optometrist, the doctors you get are probably an unnatural amount of correction. Yeah, fair to say. It is good to be precise with this sort of stuff. And what you're saying makes sense. Maybe start with a less is more mindset rather than getting overcorrected. And it's also true that most employees or optometrists are just doing what they've been trained to do. They trust the experts like everyone else. And there's no other way to even get that almighty certification anyway. So if there's anything nefarious going on, it's with the standards and the protocols and the testing set up at the top of the monopoly pyramid, where it's all about revenue, as we've said several times. But going back to the steps, so for someone who is ready to take the leap, step one, don't wear your distance glasses for close-up. Maybe even sit down and do your own measurements and make sure you're not grossly overcorrecting already. But rather than taking them off entirely, maybe 
work backwards through weaker prescriptions similarly to how they gave them to you? Is that how we should be thinking? Yeah, just a little bit lower. Like instead of seeing, you can print out an eye chart. You can get eye charts for free online or just buy a cheap eye chart and hang it up in your house and measure the distance to stand from the eye chart and see how you see the eye chart. Like 2030 is fine. You're legal to drive with 2040 in most places. You want to see it better than that. Like you want to be safe. But 2030 will still give you a little bit of a challenge. And the main thing about improving your eyesight is a little bit of challenge. People make the mistake, they listen to this crazy Bates method, internet eye exercise stuff, and they just throw away their glasses, which you can't do. But you can slowly dial it back. The same way your myopia increased over time or your glasses correction increased over time, you can also slowly decrease it. And I say usually for people that are doing it right, every three to four months, you can generally make a reduction. Fair. And to elaborate on the science of the data that says you can correct this problem without the medical system, because that is so crucial to the overall argument, there are a lot of claims out there. I'm sure some are too good to be true, but what is the realistic real deal? What sort of work are we looking at? How long is the process? What sort of results are realistic? So anybody who says, yeah, get your eyes eye back in a weekend. 30 days to perfect vision, that is highly implausible because your eyesight is worse because the axial length of the eyeball has increased. It's about one millimeter of axial length increase for every three diopters. And that takes a notable amount of time for the axial length to decrease that much. So it's impossible to reverse multiple diopters of myopia in a really short period of time. It's just, it is biologically impossible. When people ask me, like, how fast can I do it? Resetting expectations to look at habit changes and living a more realistic lifestyle when it comes to protecting your eyesight. It's almost like diet, right? If you want to lose 50 pounds, this is not about just losing 50 pounds and then what, right? Because you want to address your diet in a way that you lose the 50 pounds and then you're still happy after you've done so. You can probably reduce by a diopter a year realistically. And for a lot of people, that means three, four, five, ten years. But it's not really about that process because that process is a one-time learning how to change habits. And once you've done it, it's just kind of autopilot. But from there, you're kind of working on, okay, how much of my life am I spending sitting in front of a screen versus doing something meaningful? Or how much of my life is wasted and my myopia is just a symptom of the larger problem? I kind of don't want to get too far into that in general with people because I'm not their lifestyle coach. But it really becomes one of those things where your eyesight will continue improving. But right now, you just have to think about you put yourself in a not-so-great place and you want to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And as you say in your starter video, a lot of people just say, give me the steps. And of course, we wanted to make sure we talked about the proper context to understand myopia itself. But let me ask you about the steps. I'm, I'm sure it's sounding a little vague to people. And we talked about how you get started. You address your screen addiction, reduce your close-up strain in general. Don't wear those distance glasses close up. Maybe read further away. Measure your eyesight. And of course, this is a long process. So it's useful to keep a log so you aren't being vague about if you're making progress or not. You don't have to guess. Look at the stuff you write down. But then you say... The next step is learning active focus. What is active focus? 
So what I sort of touched on a little bit earlier is the idea of challenging your eyesight. If you're wearing 20 glasses that correct you to 2015, like you put on your glasses and you look at the eye chart and you can see the smallest line on the thing, you can never challenge your eyesight because it's just too awesome, right? Or apparently awesome with the glasses. But if you go to like 2030, that's a much bigger line. That means you can't really read the smaller lines, at least not easily. The idea being that if you go outside, you can recognize your friends, you can drive safely, everything's fine. But if you see that license plate down the street, if you see that street sign and you just can't quite read it, you can blink at it and it will clear up. But this is kind of one of those things where it takes people a little bit of time to discover. It's something that you have naturally if you don't wear glasses. Even if you don't need glasses, nobody's vision is perfect, or at least most people's vision isn't perfect. Like in a low-light situation or something's far enough away, you kind of have to blink at it, and the eye refocuses. There's always that little bit of wiggle room for the eye to increase the focus. If you've been wearing really overcorrected glasses for a long period of time, you forget about that ability. But once you find it again, you go outside, you're wearing glasses that give you like 20-30 vision, this car across the street, there's a license plate, and you're like, man, is that an A or an F? I can't tell. You blink at it, and it just kind of realigns, and you see it's an A. That activity, making that into a habit, wearing glasses that give you only enough correction to where that becomes an easy habit to get into, that is the main stimulus that improves your eyesight. Man, and this is kind of a difficult one because as you say, a good analogy for active focus is people who can raise one eyebrow. If you can do it, it's very easy, but try to explain how you do it to someone who can't, and that's not as easy of a thing to do. Have you found the right language over time to tell people how to do it if they're confused, if they're just not feeling that it's working for them? I've got a page on the site that has a bunch of links in a bunch of ways where other people describe their active focus experience of how they found it. Because there is no exact language to describe that ability, it takes people a little bit of trial and error and hearing in different ways. I think most people are figuring it out. The amount of confusion over the years has lessened greatly. And I think it's in part because it's not just me trying to explain it. You have a bunch of different people that heard me explain it and then it couldn't connect the dots. But one time they looked at something and bam, it cleared up and they remember what context it was in and then they write it down or they explain it. There's some videos from others who've done this. And then somewhere in that library of experiences, there's something that will give you that aha moment. And it's really not that difficult. It's just once you do it, you're like, wow, that was easy <laughs> because it's just like a light blink and it just Every time you blink, you close your eyes. When you open it again, you, your eye has to refocus, right? So when you look at the thing and you close your eye, you reopen your eye and you're looking at the same thing again, your eye is trying to focus at it again. And if it wasn't too blurry in the first place, most times it'll just clear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a curious thing. Maybe I've been doing it and not even knowing it. You know, I had uh, Jacob Lieberman, Dr. Jacob Lieberman here not long ago, who his expertise is really red light therapy and light, but he kind of discovered this on his own with his own eyesight. And when we talked, it was more that that he wanted to discuss. And he basically just kept saying, you will it, you just will it. <laughs> and I mean, that's the only way he could express it. And I've heard other people say that too. And that might be fair. 
you're doing it. You're absolutely doing it. You're not even realizing that you're doing it because you never had eyesight problems. You said your eyesight is fine. Your eyesight isn't perfect because like low light conditions or artificial light conditions, or if you haven't slept well, you party too much or you smoke too much or you, you've been eating a giant pizza, there will be situations where your eyesight is affected, but you don't even realize it because you have this mechanism already programmed in and you're not even consciously thinking about it. But being that you're aware of it, I'm sure you were going to catch a moment when you're sitting somewhere and like a movie has subtitles or the barista menu or there's something where you just blink at it and you're like, oh, there it is. And then you'll realize that you've been doing it all along. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I got 99 problems, but my eyes aren't one. I've been <laughs> blinking at stuff all week trying to play with this now that, uh, you know, it's been on my mind. I guess I would ask how you discovered this, because obviously your website wasn't there to lay out the breadcrumbs and the template for you. This had to be a lot of trial and error. Clearly, you had an issue with it. But I guess why weren't glasses enough for you? Why even go down this rabbit hole? Uh, this is not a brilliant story. It's purely just vanity. I, I kind of mentioned this in the beginning. I was a single dude, and I was wearing these glasses that my eyes looked tiny behind. The stronger your glasses, the smaller things look behind it. I had like little tiny pig eyes as a single dude. And then they told me I needed even stronger ones. I was just like, this is enough of this. And because of my profession, I'm a stock trader. My brain always goes to, I don't believe what I hear. The hype is always just hype. Let's look at the facts. It just turned into a research project. And as soon as I started researching it, almost immediately, I found a huge discrepancy from what I was being told by people versus what I was reading. So I was like, okay, this is clearly not right. And because professionally I'm used to seeing a lot of lies and a lot of deception, I'm like, okay, so this is a familiar story. And as I started digging into it, there was no answer how to fix it, but there was plenty of here's why it's going the way it's going and there's no defect. So the logical thought was, okay, so if this is happening because of the increasing lenswear, I'm going to decrease my lenswear. I did it all wrong. I reduced way too much in the beginning. I'm still surprised that I stuck with it because I just had no indication of how to make this work. But eventually got on the right track. Eventually I realized more of the finer points of small reductions and stimulus and the close-up is really no good. And from then the improvement came pretty well. And then other people who were curious about it got into it and we found the common ground of what works for all of us. The rest is just more and more people getting into it. Right on. So we talked a lot about glasses. I mean, are contact lenses any different, either in effectiveness or risks that we aren't aware of? Is there any adjusted advice for people who are primarily wearing contacts? Contact lenses are awesome because relative to the optical quality, they're much less expensive. You're getting a much wider field of vision because they're floating in your eye or in front of your eye. So you get peripheral vision, which is one thing that you're really cutting out with glasses, and that's not great. So getting your peripheral vision back is great. Better optical quality is great. Contact lenses in general are just a much better solution to this whole changing your refractive state than glasses are. Much, much, much better solution. But because there's never anything without a price, the contact lenses have potential drawbacks. One of them is something called corneal thinning. The cornea is the front of your eye, the clear front of your eye. And studies are showing that your cornea tends to get thinner 
with prolonged ongoing years and years of contact lens wear. And that's something you really don't want. And it appears to not be reversible. So that's not a short-term risk, but that makes contact lenses not a permanent solution in my book because you're running a serious long-term potential risk of thinning your cornea. Also, contact lenses don't work well for close-up because what happens when you stare at a screen, your blink rate is reduced by a factor of five or so. So you're blinking a lot less. And when you're blinking less, you're getting less tear fluid. So for a lot of people, they don't have enough tear fluid. Their eyes are too dry for long-term contact lens wear, especially for close-up. So that's another limitation of contact lenses. If it wasn't for those two things, I would like contact lenses more because they are cheaper, because the optical quality is better, because you get better vision. If you were to stay on track with making improvements. For example, I would not probably be here talking to you right now if contact lenses worked for me because they would have just solved my problems. I would have not had tiny pig eyes. I would be forgetting about glasses because once you put them in, they're in. And I would have just been like problem solved. So the risk with for me with contact lenses is if they work for you, they almost make it too easy to just keep wearing them. Fair. They seem super inconvenient to me and I don't want to be touching my eyeball every day, but I guess you get used to it. So let's also talk about LASIK a little bit. I consider that to be a pretty scary procedure, but I know a few people who have had it done. As I understand, it is laser shaving off maybe that part of the eye that has been extending from wearing glasses. I don't really know. But what are your thoughts on LASIK? Wow. If you want to have a guy on and talk about conspiracies, Morris Waxler is the guy at the FDA who headed up getting LASIK approved. This man, right? Like he was in charge at the FDA. This same guy now, if you look him up online, I mean, for one moment, he is the most vocal opponent of LASIK. He says it was a huge mistake. It should have never been approved. This is a dangerous procedure. The problem with LASIK is it's cutting a permanent lens into your eye. And there's different forms because there's also PRK and there's also smile and there's also different ways to try to address because with LASIK the problem is that flap never really heals not necessarily so you're creating potentially large ongoing risks that you can't reverse if you look up the website LASIK complications it's a nightmare of the things that can go wrong that are all irreversible and on top of it LASIK is just like a contact lens basically but instead of the contact lens floating in front of your eye it's laser cut into your eye and can't be changed. So if your myopia still has been increasing, it will continue increasing. And the LASIK doesn't fix anything. It's just cutting a new lens. So if your myopia has been steadily increasing over the years and you're getting a LASIK now, you're on that same chart and your myopia continues. So it's not necessarily a fix for people who still have increasing myopia. It increases or it introduces serious risks of side effects that are not reversible. And actually, even on the FDA's own website, there's a page well hidden away somewhere that shows the side effect risks. And even on their own website, those risks seem more than is worth for something that's basically just a convenience procedure. Yeah, it is quite scary. Some of the procedures that people just take for granted as routine at this point. I have terrible allergies and I've talked to several people that are like, oh, just go get the surgery where they uh, drill out your nose cavity is a little more. And I'm like, that's very close to my brain. That's very close to my eyes. I don't know. I think I'm just going to sniffle. I'll deal with it. It's all right. But that 
thing you mentioned about Dr. Morris Waxler is very important. I actually had his quote taken from your website. I wrote it down here because, as you say, former FDA head of LASIK clinical trials research, educated guy, he says, the FDA does not want to admit that millions of people have now had a surgery that never should have been approved by its own rules. The FDA is now engaged in covering up a scandal and an epidemic and its own corrupt practices. I mean, holy shit. Those are bold words, man. He is not messing around. Yeah, he's pretty upset about it. It must suck to be that guy, to have been in that position and to have made those calls. And now he's watching the outcome and he can't do anything anymore about it. There's just crazy stuff going on. And I talk to people sometimes and I'm so happy when I hear somebody going, yeah, I thought about getting LASIK. But when I looked into it, I'm like, that just seems like a pretty invasive procedure for something that I already have a fix for. I don't want to take that risk. I'm like, okay, some people still have some sense about them. <laughs> yes. And as I understand, LASIK does tend to wear off or you need procedures later. Does having had the procedure of LASIK affect a person's ability to use the program and protocols that you promote? Oh, not at all. Actually, I just had a conversation with somebody, Luis. We had a little podcast episode. She had LASIK minus five diptomyopia or so 20 years ago. And her vision started getting worse again, but it was a bit more recent. And she reversed that, right? So the habits thing always applies. It's just like when I said, if you want to lose 50 pounds, you eat less pizza, the same thing. As she got into better habits, better awareness, active focus, less phone distance, she reversed that new myopia that she had back to her previous LASIK helped 2020. Man, that's exciting news. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there are thinking about their own eyesight and what they're going to do after they listen to this. And I know it's anecdotal, but you've mentioned a couple times the people that you've talked with. I've seen your YouTube channel. A lot of the recent stuff is kind of these testimonials, these personal cases of what people have experienced. And obviously, anecdotal stuff is not always the best go-to for making a case, but they do stack up. How many testimonials or positive reports do you think you've heard back at this point since you started the website? Thousands and many, many thousands. And actually, hmm. this video series I plan to be doing, this is kind of my own little... I'm going to do this until there's thousands of them online because I want to make the statement, and I agree with you 100%, anecdotes are just anecdotes. But at what point does it become statistically relevant? There's like five, 10 or so of them now, and then there's going to be a hundred. I'm just going to keep making them until so many people, because I send out an email every year. So I send an email that says, how's it going? Because when people are happy, they usually, you don't really hear from them, but I get so much response to those emails and I save them all. And that folder is enormous. And now I just started emailing some of those people going, Hey, do you want to chat about this? Because it's different hearing it, right? Like you read an email from a person versus having the conversation with them. And it's not to dispel the skepticism because the skepticism is healthy. But I think it's important to put those voices out there, right? And not just, hey, I improved my sight, which great, who cares? But the enthusiasm or the experience or the lifestyle change or what that means to you as a person. Because you haven't had this issue of wearing glasses, but this really affects people, right? And then 
it may affect some people in a way that's profound enough to when they talk to you about, hey, I got rid of this, that it might affect you, where you're going, hey, maybe this is worth for me to look into, anecdotally speaking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well said. And I would ask you if you've ever really faced any pushback from the industry to any significant degree. I mean, that's not why we're doing this from a hotel in Bangkok, is it? Yeah. You're not on the lamb, are you? No. I actually live in a jungle in Burma most of the time, so that's more on the lamb right there. Yeah. But no, <laughs> I've had significant pushbacks. I've been threatened with lawsuits, and people have been pretty nasty to me on the internet in the past, much less so now, because... The amount of evidence and the way the website's been shaped is in no small part from that kind of feedback. I'm like, okay, so if these people are taking liberties that they shouldn't be, then I'm not doing a good job making my position clear, right? So a lot of the benefit of where the website is today is from them pushing back against me when I'm saying, okay, so we need more science. Like we need more of their clinical journals. We need more people talking about their meal peer reversal. We need more context to Put this all in that perspective. We need more community because I don't do social media. I don't do forums. I don't do any of that stuff. And I started in no small part because I was being threatened by the industry. And I'm like, okay, so I know a lot of people are using this, but I need them all kind of gather in one place. So these people see that we're not just Jake on this. Mm -hmm. And so this is the part I will splice back into for everyone. And this is kind of the wrap up stuff. So you have this website. You provide a ton of free content. You do also sell a more specific whittled down guide. Tell us about a couple of the things you do offer on the site for people who want to dig in further. So the site I describe as basically a collection of notes. Every time something has come up that was worth talking about, whether it's a how-to guide or an improvement report or what you should do with glasses, any topic that's come up that I've written about, I've just thrown in there. And there's like a dozen categories. So I try to categorize them so it's not ridiculous to dig through. But there's like over a thousand different articles at this point that most people use. Most people who see improvement reports from use the free stuff to improve the eyesight. Works great. It's part of my thing because I'm trying to be a little bit altruistic with this one and just go, hey, this one is not about the money. On the other hand, though, Google is starting to censor anything that's alternative health related. They're starting to censor us. We lost like 80% of our traffic. We have hosting bills. Everything costs money and I don't want to pay all of it out of pocket. So what I've done is if you don't want to dig through all of it yourself, we've organized it to where you can skip most of the work and just go straight to give me the steps basically. <laughs> the reason those are not free is because I've got a bunch of bills and especially as Google is censoring us more, I have to put in more effort into getting the word out there, which again, usually isn't free. It, it involves effort, involves time, involves money. So that's my trade offer, right? Like either you do it for free and you figure it out, it's all there, or we trade some resources, right? Like give me some resources, I give you some resources and we've got various more condensed versions that will get you to the same place, just maybe quicker and easier. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Time or money, you decide. <laughs> and you also have not only the curated kind of information packages, but also courses. Some seem to be sold out, some not quite. But what would you tell people about the particular courses or the plans for the website going forward when it comes to maybe more detailed things that they can get involved in that maybe aren't so free? Yeah, this year, actually, this is the first year that 
I'm getting more into this because my attitude's just been like, here, do it for free. I'm realizing that some people just don't want to have to do that. So right now there's a few things. Like there's a very cheap like $7 or so measuring guide that gets you into the whole, how do you measure your eyesight? All the ways you can measure your eyesight, all the ways you can replace the optometrist, including like printable eye charts and all that stuff. To a little bit more advanced things where, for example, our four members have put together an 11-chapter guide of all the most important things on the website. So you can buy that, and that gives you the, I call it the rough guide, because that's pretty much what it is. It gives you the condensed version of everything you need. And then there is a very detailed program with like 80-some different sessions. Personal support for me, which is why I only do a few spots a month, it's not generally available. That's why it may look unavailable on the website, because I only do it when I have time. And then there's going to be a few more other specific ones. We used to run a thing for law enforcement and military that need better than 2020 vision that I'm not sure if it makes sense for the public because it's more ongoing effort that most people don't need crazy good eyesight. Some presbyopia stuff and more specific guides. Like if you have astigmatism, you want to get rid of astigmatism, I'm going to add some more guides. And mainly all of this stuff is intended to help us reach a bigger audience in the long term, especially as we can't rely on Google forever <laughs> to spread the word. Well, yeah, cheers to that. And that's cool. I thought astigmatism, I consider that maybe one of those things that couldn't be helped, like a biological thing, but that's cool that you have a little bit of a process for that too, or some tools. Yeah, because most astigmatism isn't real. Most astigmatism is just caused by lens use also. Oh, shit. <laughs> so you also list the pros and cons of your program where you say, the cons are, of course, that it takes time, it takes lifestyle changes, it takes some discipline. These aren't always easy things. But also that you may never use your distance vision for anything more than driving to work. And that one was just curious to me. Why is that, that this would actually cause you to not really use your distance vision as much as maybe we already are? No, I'm saying a lot of people, it was kind of a I'm throwing this at the screen addiction. Like so many people, that's all they do, right? Like as you get up in the morning, you check your phone, you drive to work. That's the only time you need to look at a distance. And you sit in front of your computer all day. Then you drive home, you use the distance vision, and then you watch Netflix and you go to bed. And I'm just kind of saying like maybe it's worth evaluating. Do you need this because you have plans to actually see the world around you? Or are you just doing it because you're just doing it? <laughs> Gotcha. Little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, I want you to do more with your eyesight than just fix it. I want you to actually enjoy it, too. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're stuck inside all day, there's really nowhere for the distance vision to go. I mean, you need more than the square footage of your home, probably, to use it effectively. For sure, yeah. Well, awesome, man. I think this is really interesting stuff. I do love topics and information that speaks to taking your health into your own hands rather than getting caught up in a deceptive system, and this definitely qualifies. Is there anything else to tell people before we go? Any other links to give them or social media information, anything like that, contact stuff? On the website, we have a link to our YouTube channel and our Facebook group and our forum. Those are probably the three destinations worth checking out. Like if you want to listen to stuff rather than read, I put a fair amount of videos out there you can just listen to also. And then we have a pretty big Facebook group and a pretty big forum if you want to dive into the stuff while having a community around. Right on. Good to know. Well, you are no doubt dedicated and I salute you for it. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your time and your work. Keep it up, man. 
Thanks, Greg, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, praise be THC. Open your eyes and see, people. A brick-by-brick dismantling of the multi-billion dollar eye care industry. I like it. This actually came from a Plus member recommendation right at a time when Jake's PR people inquired about getting him on. Real double whammy. And I need some PR people, by the way. But regardless, I looked over his stuff, thought he was a good speaker who knew his material and had a good microphone. And maybe there was a slight pinch of spite stirred into the mix for my previous employer. It happens. And I do think we actually do a pretty good job of beating up all my previous employers, actually. GameStop clearly contributes to the problem, but why kick a company when they're almost bankrupt anyway? Today we poked at the profit margin of the biggest eye care corporation on the planet that I used to work for, he who shall not be named. Apparently Jake feels like they can be quite litigious, and the big ones usually are. And taking it right back to the beginning, we've never really beat up the Great American Cookie Company directly, but sugar and sweets have definitely taken a bashing from time to time. Though if you do need a cookie cake decorated, despite our warnings, I would be happy to bring out the old icing bags and see how I do a decade later. But sad stoner dropout resume aside, from time to time, the Jacob Lieberman episode comes to mind, and he would talk about how he took off his glasses and just sort of willed his eyesight to work, and it did. He would equate it to seeing with the third eye, that's what he would say, but I always wanted a little bit more than that, and I think active focus is what we were looking for. And I'm sure there are glasses wearers who maybe think the solution here is a bit vague or sounds almost too simple, but if you look at Jake's end myopia reviews and testimonials, it's pretty overwhelmingly positive. It's weird, right? Because your eyesight seems like such a big part of life and a very complex mechanism the eye is, to say the least. But step one is dismantling the solution for what it is. It's just curved glass with a little magnification baked in. No pills or surgeries, just curved glass. So then you give people the solution, which is just simply active focus, and of course lifestyle changes. But this active focus thing, I guess it's hard to describe, but it's worth a try. And I'm sure you could become a member of Jake's site or do your own searching now that you have that term. And you can just start the process of working off the glasses. Seems like the eye is similar to any muscle and self-healing applies in this realm as well. So as mind-blowingly simple as the solution might be, the system solution is pretty damn simple too, right? And who's going to tell you there's an easier or cheaper way? I am. I am, good people. <laughs> I'm half kidding. But I do also like that Jake was familiar with the free show plus show model. And once we got into the inner circle, he was way more willing to talk about the controversial stuff or maybe the unseen aspects of wearing glasses that could have an effect on a person, but might sound a bit paranoid or extreme. Not to me. But I could understand why he'd be more comfortable behind closed doors, so to speak, with some of that stuff. 
And it also never fails that when we do talk to an open-minded, anti-establishment person who lives out in the jungle among the indigenous people, they see some wild and crazy stuff. And I love when we have someone who can share those sorts of anecdotes. Because they were always there, but few English speakers are really embedding themselves in that environment, and even fewer are reporting back. So that paralysis story that he told in the Plus show was pretty incredible. Shamans, what are you going to do? Some other Plus show stuff was that we talked about LASIK and Dr. Morris Waxler. We talked about the red herring solutions for myopia that Jake had tried along his journey. Figured we'd save you some time. Tips for getting children to go through this process. And of course, we got into how much the industry really knows and how much it suppresses. The conspiratorial side, which is another thing that Jake would probably rather tone down than amp up. But, you know, this is where you're at, so we have to do it. But I was pretty into it. Just a very unexpected topic, and maybe it did help some people. We all have friends and family that wear glasses. Maybe we have children that we can help to keep from getting wrapped up in this system. How often do you go to any grocery store and see a fucking three-year-old on an iPad? It's really the cognitive effects and the brain chemistry alteration that bothers me most about that. But this eyesight thing is just... Icing on the proverbial cookie cake, you know? Of course, there are real eye issues, but basic myopia does not have to be one. This seems somewhat manufactured. But okay, in higher side news, the joint session this month will be on the 20th. I have a very busy week recording three different shows. Two of them are quite complex, but we're pushing through. Join me for a drink and a smoke and a friendly conversation about all things weird and conspiratorial. 7 p.m. Pacific on February 20th. And that's really it. Everything is running smoothly for the most part. I am pretty proud of recent shows, trying to keep things fresh and diverse, and some amazing stuff is coming up too. Again, big thanks to Jake for today. Go to endmyopia.org to really dig in. Share this interview with people you care about. The financial screws of life are tightening all the time. Let's get one unnecessary expense off our plate if we can. And with that, I'm getting out of here. I am so, so grateful that people listen. Please share the show when you can. I am largely a one-man operation, plus an editor, plus a new IT guy. But I'm going up against some podcasts that are pretty big machines. And we're just over here doing a simple word of mouth thing. I recently spent some money on digital marketing and it's gotten me almost nowhere compared to just putting out good shows and hoping that people spread the word. That's it. So thank you a million times over. I have the best life in the world and I wouldn't take this situation I have for granted. I can get lazy in all other aspects of life, but not on the moneymaker. Right, ladies? All right, clearly time to go. So take care of you and yours. Your move, eyesight, secret keepers, corporate cornea covers, and the money-making myopia machine. Your fucking move. Have a drink and a smoke. Listen to the cast. We shine a shiny spotlight. 
Put criminals on blast The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance We're looking for the answers To questions never asked So we come to the Carwood For the higher side chats The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't The kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance We try to get a glance We're working on the numbers Resistance must advance The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't The kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance The kids don't, the kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance I said the kids don't, the kids don't stand The kids don't stand a chance